Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. And good morning to you, and welcome to Future Sense here at Bay FM 99.9. On this Monday, the 30th of March, 2020, although we are recording this uh, in remote locations from each other and uh, from you, from the studios of Bay FM, uh, and uh, keeping our social or physical distancing. So it's a new experiment. We are recording actually on Sunday, the 29th, the day before. So I won't even give you the weather today because you can look out the window and do a better job of that yourself. Um, welcome and thanks for being here. Uh, I am Nick Jeans and with me, my co-host, Steve McDonald. Good morning, Steve. How are you there? Good morning, Nick. It's great to hear your voice and wonderful to be back here in Australia and on the show again. You are. You've been traveling. You've been around the world, in fact, and got back exactly really 24 hours before you would have been locked down in the hotel by the military. So they are now both saying... Exactly, yes. So I am uh, in isolation at home for two weeks uh, because I've been travelling overseas, but I'm feeling great and uh, I'm grateful that I got back before those new restrictions came in for sure. Indeed. And and, um, maybe I'll just mention very briefly uh, that while I was overseas, uh, I had a couple of meetings around future global systems and um, the coordination of um, ecological data in particular and uh, and also uh, just general information as we do through future sense about the ongoing global paradigm shift and how that might roll out in the future so um, so despite all of the restrictions and the disruption to my travel plans I did manage to to still meet up with uh, the people that I was going to meet internationally and so I, I was very happy to have done that and uh, no doubt the information that we've shared will be valuable to us all in the future. Indeed. For today's show, of course, we uh, we won't be taking texts on the text line because we're not actually in the studio, nor is it today. It's actually yesterday for us, which is <laughs> pretty weird. Um, and also, of course, uh, our podcast will still be available from this show in about 24 hours' time at uh, futuresense.it. You can check that out. But don't, uh, don't text in today, but uh, we're very happy for you to engage with us uh, via our social media platforms as well. There's a word that's come about in the last uh, few days or maybe a week or so, one of the many memes that are out there regarding this uh, coronavirus um, crisis, and that is the word isolationship, which I very much like. And in this isolationship, we are in some ways paradoxically becoming closer together. New online communities are forming, and at least in the streets of Mullumbimby, where we live in northern New South Wales, in Australia, people are fairly well abiding by physical distancing rules, and certainly there is, in my experience, a calm and loving energy about. It's unlikely that that's the case everywhere in the world, of course, with some Indians having to walk hundreds of kilometres to get back to their villages from working in cities because of lockdown laws, no transport, little food, hordes of people. By now, most people will be following the news much more than they usually do, and many of those are also following the many alternative sources articulating different theories, conspiracies, and interpretations. 
Perception, as always, is the key. The result overall, certainly in the way that the response has been configured by government and other agencies, that there have been many ill-considered knee-jerk responses in sometimes counterproductive directions. Nevertheless, most of us have fallen into lockstep with the regulations and the temperament of government and mainstream media. Aside from how successful governments have or have not been at implementing regimens to deal with the outbreak, on a deeper level, in this isolationship, many are considering other dimensions of what it is happening, how incredibly disconnected we are from the planet and each other, for example, how we have polluted and plundered in the name of profit and success, destroyed so much, and twisted our own societies and psychologies in so many ways into strange aberrations of their original and often well-intended conceptions. Something is unsettled deep in the soul of the world. As we speak of on Future Sense, there is evidence enough to suggest we are on the edge of a momentous leap, as Claire W. Graves called it, a paradigm shift that has never happened before on this planet. This leap is so beyond our ken, no matter how smart we think we are, that most of us can't see it, but many can feel it coming, especially in this time. The world is a restless and uncertain place. How quickly that reality has come upon the whole world. It arises in us in myriad ways as individuals inflected and complexified by our birth, our families, communities and tribes, our nations and races and our sexualities, our beliefs and our values. Everything is shaky and uncertain. The change begun on this planet now is potentially so momentous that collapse of old institutions and structures of education, politics, religion, business and everything else seems somehow inevitable to many. From where we stand today, we are at a key moment in this accelerating process. So what can we perceive in the current fast-changing situation? What does it tell us of the mood and motivation behind the scenes, particularly in the financial markets, in banking and in big corporations, but also in small business and job markets generally? Are we seeing a reset, a reboot of the economy through this crisis? I certainly think that we are in the middle of a planetary reboot at the moment. A lot of people have been posting on social media that they feel like somebody's turned the uh, the on-off switch uh, off momentarily and everything's on pause and it's mm. going to be flicked back on again soon. And like a computer, we'll reboot and, and perhaps uh, refresh ourselves and clear our cookies and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the big story really is this transition from the scientific industrial era to uh, Claire Graves' Layer 6, which is the humanistic, relativistic, network-centric way of being human, which is very much community-oriented community as opposed to the individually-oriented scientific-industrial era that we're leaving behind. And in my opinion, this is uh, a, a small introduction to what lies ahead. Perhaps for the next 10 to 15 years, I think we're going to see a number of uh, trigger points which will progress this massive shift uh, similar to this one and, and I think in hindsight we'll see this as uh, perhaps one of the less disruptive ones if you can believe that or not but there's certainly massive momentum at the moment in this swing between the individual way of living that we're leaving behind and the new communal way which is emerging and that momentum is shaping everything that's happening it's something that none of us have ever lived through before. I mean, the last time we went through such a value shift of this scale was uh, back in the Middle Ages and, and through to the scientific and industrial revolutions, which was a period of many, many hundreds of years. 
And as history moves forward, uh, these the time frames are being compressed. So we're we're changing much more rapidly now than we used to back then, and that's primarily because of the speed of our communication technologies. Mm. So none of us have done this before, and, and even people like me who've spent a lot of time studying the theory around this change, I'm seeing things that I didn't expect to see. And, and one of the, the really interesting things is the convergence of thinking coming from different value systems. And I've been searching for something or, or a, an event in history that might give us you know, something to compare this to, and I thought maybe... The Second World War was a time when many, many people around the world came together, albeit polarised on two different sides of the war, but with a central purpose and worked together across many, many different value systems, you know, trying to achieve goals. And something similar is happening right now, except it seems pretty much like we're, we're almost all on the same side uh, in this case, which is also somewhat unprecedented. And it's very interesting to see how quickly the whole world fell in lockstep and you know pursued these response measures uh, all in the same direction. I think that's quite fascinating. Yes, and it's, it's uh, as you're saying, it's it's fascinating that that uh, the difference between right and left politically and uh, polarization generally has been somewhat set aside uh, for us all to actually fall into line with what is what seems to be necessary, what we're told is necessary, and we're doing that. But I think that's it's a great opportunity also, as you're saying, with the comparison to a world war two that there is a great opportunity for uh, new creativity and innovation to emerge much faster in that space as well, isn't there? There is, Nick, yeah. And from a Taoist point of view, just thinking about the sort of fundamental dynamic energies of yin and yang which dance with each other, mm. uh, the you know going into one side, whether the active or passive, the yin or the yang, uh, it will eventually generate the seed of the other. And so we can fully expect that this time of isolation where we're being forced mm. to, to be alone and not socialise like we normally do will generate a great desire for community. And so I see what's happening now as an absolute accelerator of this value shift beyond the scientific industrial era. So in that sense, it's actually a wonderful opportunity and a great blessing perhaps in disguise for many people. Now, of course, one of the big issues is uh, how we know what we know and what we believe or what we ascribe uh, meaning or truth to, and that's become even more difficult, and we've talked about a lot on this show, the complexity and the overwhelm, the confusion of these times as we transition from the uh, the orange layer from the uh, uh, industrial era to uh, the, the layer of green, the more communal layer. Uh, and we're, we're seeing now uh, that very clearly in this space where people really don't know what's going on often and certainly even our governments and authorities uh, also are having trouble making uh, very concise and clear uh, um, rules and regulations about in response to the, to the crisis. So we're, we're really seeing that exaggerated too, aren't we, this, this element of overwhelming confusion in, in, uh, in the world as a whole. We certainly are and this is where I think Claire Graves' model comes in handy because it really pays to sit back and take a very big perspective on this and look at the overall trend and the overall trend is very clearly that we are coming together as a species on a planetary level. We are working together to overcome a challenge. And we're also thinking about how life might be different once this planetary reboot uh, goes into the next phase and we all start going back to work. And, and of course, the, this uh, whole issue is playing out 
uh, in a staggered way right across the globe at the moment. So China was one of the earliest affected, of course, and uh, and is really in the return to work phase right now, whereas other countries uh, are yet to to face the peak of the virus. So we we also need to be mindful of that, and. Um, and I hope that by looking at the big perspective, as we do on this show, it will give uh, hope to many people and, and provide some consolation that uh, this is probably going to be more short-lived than has been predicted. And we'll go into some details of that uh, shortly. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate and spiral up. There's a lot of contradictory information out there. It's very difficult to understand uh, just the, the, the stats, like how dangerous is this you know, COVID-19 virus, for example, and how's it playing out in different countries? And what are, the, what are the things perhaps we're not seeing or not aware of enough in terms of how the figures are, are arrived at? Yeah, as we've said previously on the show, there certainly were some questionable things in the lead up in the early stages of this outbreak. And we're not likely to really have the facts and uh, know exactly what happened at this point. So it really, it doesn't, I don't think, uh, make a lot of sense to really dwell on those things, but just perhaps uh, put them aside for the moment and feel assured that with time, the truth will be explained and we'll we'll understand better how this whole thing is rolled out and and why it's happened in the first place. Uh, I think it's fair to say, though, that based on what we know now and all of the data from all of the countries, uh, you know, where they have faced their peak or are in, sort of approaching their peak at the moment, we can quite safely say that very, very few of us, and, and I'm talking uh, in the scale of the, uh, the whole of uh, humanity at the moment, mm. very, very few of us will be touched directly by the virus, a, a tiny, tiny, tiny percent. Mm. Fewer, in fact, that are touched by the regular influenza every year. So um, that's an important issue, and hopefully you know, people can reflect on that and... Uh, perhaps feel a little bit calmer and safer. But secondly, most of us have already been impacted by the economic effect of the response, uh, which is being quite transformational and and it's going to be very, very interesting to watch that roll out. So I think for most people and most listeners, the economic impact is is actually the main issue here, uh, not the actual virus itself, which, which is an interesting thought to start with. Uh, and then, uh, as you alluded to there, the, the data that uh, we're seeing is consistently pointing to the fact that those most at risk are the elderly and people with serious underlying health conditions. And the percentage of people who have been seriously affected by a coronavirus who have no underlying health conditions is very, very small indeed. And, and uh, on the data that I've seen, uh, probably sits under uh, 1% of those uh, who contract the virus. So uh, there in itself is, uh, you know, is a good guideline to help people assess how much they are personally at risk. Mm. And I hope to, to take appropriate action to uh, prevent themselves contracting the virus. Of course, some people uh, or everybody will be reading about uh, particularly countries like Italy and Spain, some some parts of the United States, New York City, New York State itself, for example. What you find is pre-existing conditions in many, many of those cases. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, we know for a fact that Italy in general has quite a high population of elderly people compared to other countries. So straight away, they've, they've got more of their population percentage-wise who are at risk from the virus. And secondly, there are 
a number of reports that there has been variation in the way the data has been uh, reported from different countries and uh, the main issue is where somebody is in hospital and they pass away and they are tested for the virus. If the virus is found in their system, that doesn't necessarily, of course, mean that they died from the virus. And we know also there have been reports of people who are quite healthy and, and who, sh who are testing positive, yeah. not showing any symptoms at all. So the question is whether somebody died from the virus or whether they simply died of another cause with the virus in their system. And there's evidence coming through, uh, particularly from the situation in Italy, that those two categories have been mixed into uh, the same classification as deaths from the virus. And so mm. this may be, if, if that's correct, this may be one of the reasons why Italy has an unusually high death rate uh, being recorded compared to other countries. But I, I did read uh, some very good advice from one of the medical authorities which said that it's really not a good time to bank on data in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> so, you know, while it's important to take note of the data and to, to watch the trends and uh, intelligently interpret it, we also, also should understand that in the middle of a pandemic, uh, mistakes are made. People don't necessarily all follow the same guidelines when they're recording data, and uh, it, it's only really after the fact that we'll have all of the facts. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that doesn't mean by relaxing around the data in that way that we're talking about to a degree that we shouldn't do exactly the right thing that we, uh, we we feel is true for us and what is given to us by the authorities and governments to do in in the light of this, even if it isn't as serious as it it uh, would seem to be for some people. What what is uh, pushed out there in a sort of more uh, fear driven uh, aspects of the media where that appears. Yeah, I think, look, there are some encouraging trends that we'll talk about in a moment, but it's it's also very important to understand that the reason that these encouraging trends exist is because of the response measures that have been put into place, because people are following, uh, for the most part, what they're being told to do in terms of control measures to stop the spread of the virus. So I really want to emphasise that at this point, uh, in the pandemic, it's really, really important to follow the advice of the health authorities and government uh, in terms of isolation and all of the, the cleanliness and hygiene issues that we're being told about. Uh, and because it's only due to the fact that people are doing that now that we're starting to see some encouraging trends. Here in Australia in the last couple of days, the, the numbers of new cases being reported on a daily basis uh, have started reducing for the first time. And, and we are probably still uh, yet to peak here in Australia in terms of the cases that we're going to face. So that's really encouraging, but it's only happening because people are, are doing what they're asked to do. So I, you know, I can't stress enough that that is very, very important. Yeah. The isolation that we are experiencing to one degree or another does provide an opportunity, a great opportunity for self-reflection. I think many of us are already feeling that or thinking that it's a very unusual situation that we find ourselves in and it is offering you, us, an opportunity for most people, a really different way of living life all of a sudden. It really does. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a reboot and a reset on all scales from individual through to global. And I think also, uh, you know, just while we're talking about the data, uh, a number of uh, commentators are coming out and saying, well, you know, there are far more people dying from other things at the moment, including the, the general influenza, of course. Many, many more people are dying from that uh, than are dying from the coronavirus, and that's, that's true. 
And of course, there are lots and lots of other things that people die from every day. Here in Australia, an average of 15 people die every day from alcohol-related issues. But uh, there are so many things that we just brush over and we accept and we don't think about. And I I really believe that this uh, event that's happening at the moment is an opportunity for us to reflect on that and reflect on compassion in general and understanding that every day there are people suffering there are people dying from things which you know most of us aren't aware of things that aren't reported in the media and it's only really that this particular issue the coronavirus has been focused upon by the media that all of a sudden it's in our face uh, and all of those other things that that just you know get brushed aside every day are happening to people all over the place uh, and there are many many ways that we could improve uh, the world and improve the health of people generally that uh, you know we may not think of otherwise so it's certainly a time to to reflect on that and reflect on when we do get back to living life uh, normally in inverted commas mm-hmm. once again you know what should we do about that should we should we just go back to the way we were or should we take the opportunity to make a change uh, in many many different ways well as we're saying they have always on this show we are in a process of evolution on this planet an accelerated evolution and we are moving towards a, a significant change in our in our systems and our value systems in our in the paradigm of how we live on this planet a great opportunity for something else to emerge from here and perhaps that's a deeper meaning behind this absolutely and as i said at the start of the show it's it's without a doubt accelerating this movement beyond the old way of living the old paradigm and that's exactly what we need um, i might just mention now a couple of the encouraging trends which uh, we've been alluding to the first one is that the uk government has downgraded its classification of uh, coronavirus and uh, this happened on the 19th of March, so uh, just over 10 days ago. And it is no longer considered to be a high-consequence conse- infectious disease in the UK. So the Four Nations Public Health uh, High-Consequence Infectious Disease Group made an interim recommendation in January to classify this coronavirus uh, accordingly. And this was based on consideration of the uh, criteria about the virus and the disease with information available during the early stages of the outbreak and the models uh, that were forecasting potential casualties there. And now that more is known about the virus, uh, the public health bodies in the UK have reviewed the most up-to-date information and they have decided to downgrade its classification. So it's no longer a high-consequence infectious disease. Uh, And they have determined, I'm reading this uh, from the uh, UK government website, they have determined that several features have now changed. In particular, more information is available about mortality rates, in brackets, low overall. And there is now greater clinical awareness and a specific and sensitive laboratory test, the availability of which continues to increase. So uh, that's certainly good news. And that is part of a general trend that I'm seeing right now uh, to reassess the risk that this virus is uh, posing and as i mentioned before the opportunity to reassess it has largely been due to the efforts that have been taken so far and very quickly to contain it Uh, and uh, and so we mustn't forget that uh, even though these uh, classifications are being downgraded we still need to be complying with those uh, directions in order to continue to contain it and continue to uh, overcome the the challenge absolutely 
and of course uh, that also reveals what you're saying is the uh, the the risks the uh, the the, uh, the actual effects are much more to do with economy and the structure of our systems on the on the planet as a whole and for the first time for most people on the planet for everybody potentially to actually start to see that and see that a real transformation of systems actually has to occur on the planet and this is perhaps not such a big health issue it is really uh, an issue of our well, our system of being on this on this uh, earth, on Gaia, and that, that is now uh, what we're focusing on somehow, what can be focused on. Yes, indeed. It's not uh, just a health and economic issue that we're facing here. It's a whole paradigm shift, a whole system change. I have an article here uh, which is covering an announcement by the White House Coronavirus Task Force Coordinator, Dr. Deborah Burks who cautioned on Thursday recently against models that predict alarming increases in coronavirus infections and deaths in the US. Speaking at a White House press briefing, uh, she singled out a recent study on the United Kingdom that originally predicted half a million people would die from the virus in the UK. And that estimate has since been revised down to predict 20,000 deaths in the UK. So that is a remarkable decrease uh, and, uh, and good news to hear, of course. She said the data the U.S. government has collected uh, does not show that 20% of the U.S. population would be infected with the virus, and she cautions against any predictions that say so. So this is really encouraging news to see uh, the the government task force leader in the U.S. coming out and just saying that you know we actually we overcooked the estimates up front, and we're looking at the data as it progresses, and we can now see that it's really not posing uh, the the serious, serious risk that we thought it was. Uh, and uh, although we still need, of course, uh, to take precautions, we can take some uh, comfort in the fact that uh, we're not likely to see these massive figures, uh, casualty figures, as we originally predicted. Yes. I think it's, uh, also that would be one of the reasons perhaps why uh, President Trump today declined to close down New York State and New Jersey and parts of um, Connecticut, which he was uh, flagging earlier today. So perhaps that's uh, something that's moved through the system, that knowledge that you're just uh, speaking of there. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it has come as a terrible, terrible shock to first world countries uh, because we're just not used to this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take much to spook us. And it's, it's a fact that really, I think, uh, certainly in Australia and uh, other Western countries, probably many, many countries around the world, our health systems have been on the edge even before this virus arose. And uh, it really didn't take much to push them over the edge and to, uh, you know, to sort of uh, exceed their capacity or at least look like it was going to come close to do that. Mm. And this is a result of the old paradigm thinking around efficiency, the scientific industrial way, mm -hmm. which is about making things as efficient as possible. And, and while that is great if you are focusing on profits for shareholders and saving money, it's really not good if you want a sustainable system because the system has no slack to adapt mm -hmm. at all. Well, it doesn't account for any instability, any major instability like this that arrives in the system, does it? It just can't, can't cope. No, that's right. I've got a little rain shower passing by here. Nick, can you I hear have, that at I your have, end? I have rain at my place too. We're only probably five, three, or five, three to five kilometres apart, so yeah, I'm getting rain as well. Yeah, beautiful. It's nice. I hope so that's a bit of atmosphere. Like, I hope it's not too noisy for the it's listeners a, It's out a there. bit like pirate radio today. It's fun. It is, exactly, yeah. Um, just back to Dr. Deborah Burks uh, in this article, I'm, and I'm reading this from uh, a website called thehill.com. Mm. 
Uh, it's interesting. She she said that uh, there's no reality on the ground where we can see that 60 to 70 percent of Americans are going to get infected in the next eight to 12 weeks. And she is a HIV AIDS expert from yes. the State Department who was brought out on to uh, coordinate the federal government's response to the coronavirus. And she noted that 19 of the 50 US states are showing a persistently low level of cases despite reporting early infections. And mm. uh, this report is from the 26th of March, so it's just a few days and she old. She says actually that 40% of the country uh, have extraordinary low numbers uh, as they're testing. That's right, mm. yeah. And, and also at the same time, she's uh, noting uh, the New York situation, which seems to be an epicenter of, yes. uh, of outbreaks at the moment and obviously needs some special attention. Absolutely. And uh, the study that uh, Dr. Burks was referring to in the UK was uh, announced by Professor Neil Ferguson from Imperial College London, and he was recently uh, shown in the media. It was actually uh, a, re a report by the Daily Mail, which... Um, some people might not regard as one of the best sources, but they had an actual video of Dr. Ferguson talking to a uh, parliamentary committee. Mm. And he's uh, Professor Neil Ferguson is director of the MRC Centre for Global Infectious Disease Analysis at Imperial College London. He uh, was uh, the person who initially announced the possibility of half a million deaths in the UK. And recently in this discussion with the House of Commons uh, committee, he downgraded that to around about 20,000. Massive difference. Uh, which, and it's great to see, you know, uh, somebody admitting there that the original estimates were wrong and, and uh, giving a, an accurate estimate given the current data. He also said that during that discussion uh, that despite fears of a lack of ICU, that's in intensive care unit facilities uh, in the UK, he is personally confident that the UK National Health Service will remain within capacity and that demand will peak in around about two to three weeks and then decline. So this is a, a, an emerging trend that we're hearing now from multiple sources that we, uh, in the West, may see a peak of cases within the next two to three weeks and then a decline and easing off of the pressure during the month of April. And this seems to align with the astrological data as well, Nick. Indeed. Well, we do need to take a break, so let's come back on that after some music and some announcements here on Bay of Fumia. Tune to Future Sense. It is uh, Monday the 30th of March in your time. We are uh, recording on Sunday, the day before, at remote locations. The podcast will be available in a day or so uh, at uh, futuresense.it and via social media. Uh, stay tuned here on Bay of 999. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Welcome back to Future Sense here on BayFM 99.9 and on our podcast. Broadcast around the world through futuresense.it or through your favourite podcast platform. Uh, you're with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald here broadcasting uh, on Sunday. In fact, we're recording this uh, at distance from each other and at distance from the station itself as there are Currently, no live broadcasts coming out of Bay FM. So before the break, we talked about uh, the, um, the astrology of this time. And of course, for some people, this is absolute bunk still and good on you. And for some people, this is really meaningful and important and uh, such an interesting reflection at this time. This week and this coming week and through this whole period has been an incredible uh, period for us, astrology itself, for astrologers. On April the 5th this week, Jupiter will be exactly conjunct Pluto at 24 degrees Capricorn. 
Um, this is, in fact, the first time since 1894 BC that these planets, Jupiter and Pluto and Saturn, which is also there, have been conjunct in, in, uh, in Capricorn. And in fact, the next time will be in 2755, uh, 700, 600 years from now. So this is a pretty rare event in, its, in itself. And it's why astrologers are particularly focused on this year as a, as a key year of transformation and possibilities. Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions typically expand the vistas of discovery and magnify things on cosmic and microcosmic scales. But the presence of Saturn suggests there will be some element of contraction and limitation, which is clearly happening right now. And it's right there as a reflection in the astrology. And I, I'd like to uh, make it clear that it, uh, I certainly don't believe that the planets actually cause things. They're like a, uh, they're a reflection. They're a, a book you can read, if, if you will, a mirror to see these, these movements of planets, movements of energies. So as Jupiter, Pluto and Saturn transit through Capricorn, they also bring lessons of maturity and responsibility cultivated through acceptance of natural cycles of change and change more broadly. Jupiter and Pluto in Capricorn are under rulership of the slow and steady Saturn and that brings us tests that temper the potential excess and inflation of Jupiter. We can feel that right now, this containment of, of uh, the, the sort of desire to, to keep doing what we were doing before, to go out anyway, to indulge in things, whatever you might be feeling, but it is really a time to settle inwards. The difficulties or crises we endure will bring, in fact, revisioning of what needs to be nurtured and developed and what needs to be shed and let go. And this week also, particularly tomorrow, Tuesday, the 31st of March, Mars joins Saturn in Aquarius. Saturn's just slipped into Aquarius. It's almost like the beginning, the true beginning of the Aquarian age, if you want to stretch it a little bit. But Mars and Saturn moves back into Capricorn because it's not over yet. We've got a whole year of this, uh, at least right now, of this energy, of this, uh, of this conjunction energy in the sky. Uh, but Mars joins Saturn in Aquarius. And this is a bit of an opportunity, a bit of a glimpse, I, I predict, I think this week, of a bit more uh, direction for us somehow, a bit more certainty perhaps. It's a bit hard to say that really, but I feel that that's what's, that's what's coming this week. And it's also true that Jupiter's first union with Pluto is this week, but then due to uh, what's called retrogrades, where the planets appear to move backwards, uh, there are two more conjunctions in June and July of the planets and then in the week of the presidential election. So we're seeing really a cycle that's reflected in, uh, in the stars or that is really linked into world events that we already know are happening. There's a lot going on, and I think to to understand uh, via astrology that there is a great opportunity in the depth and the persistent contraction and expansion that you might be feeling out there. Uh, certainly, I think that's exactly what's happening. There's a great feeling of expansion. At the same time, there's a necessary contraction that's occurring in order for us to learn the lessons. I did notice, Nick, that there are a lot of uh, Pluto alignments in the next couple of weeks with different planets. So it sounds like we're off, we're in for like a, a, a sort of various sort of spikes of intensity within the next week or two. Would that well, be right? Well, it's certainly the conjunction between Mars and Pluto. Also, that's uh, that occurred actually uh, this last Monday already. But we'll we'll uh, and that was the first one. So we're in that bracket at at the same time. That's true. We're locked down and we're having to negotiate the relationships that we are 
that we are experiencing and for many people that's uh, like a holiday perhaps uh, and a retreat and for other people it might be like absolute hell uh, so uh, we don't know where you're at but uh, the best thing to do I think in this space is to uh, try and relax and regard this as a retreat from your normal self and your normal reactions if you can do that um, there's a number of other factors going on here which um, you know yeah there's a lot of stuff in the sky it's a, it's a fascinating time astrologically if you if you're into astrology that's for sure a busy time and so there are a couple of different sources i mean one is uh, professor neil ferguson i just mentioned who is predicting uh, a relief within two three weeks or so yes. and also martin armstrong and his computer algorithm was predicting a shift in the economic circumstances around the 8th of april so I'm guessing that shows up somewhere in the, the astrology as well, that there might be a, an easing of the pressure or at least a change of some sort, sort of, you know, sometime between the 8th of April and, and the next week or so after that, perhaps? Yeah, well, as I said, the, the movement of Mars and Saturn together in early Aquarius before they slip back again, or before um, Saturn slips back, sort of indicates that in that first week uh, into the second week of April, that's for sure. Full moon is on the 8th of April and the the first conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto that's really significant there on the 6th. So I think all those... because Jupiter, those, yeah. Yeah, Jupiter yeah. really gives an opportunity for a different way, like a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and even full moon, obviously. At that, and you know, the that's, that's the full intensity there, and it eases off after that. Yeah, precisely. Mm. That's cool. Um, I had a phone call yesterday from uh, my good friend, uh, Chris Caldwell, uh, yes, who's a psychologist Chris. from Melbourne. Chris has been on the show, of course, uh, a while back now, I suppose, uh, talking about psychology. And... I took the opportunity to ask him for a Freudian analysis of the panic toilet paper buying. And, and I thought he did a wonderful job of responding. He said, you know, in, in mainstream society, in particularly old paradigm, we make such an effort to hide our shit. And I guess we see this also in the whole selfie thing where, you know, people take selfies of themselves in wonderful circumstances and they never take selfies, of course, when they're struggling. Uh, and all of a sudden we're faced with the possibility that we might not have the paper to wipe our shit away. And so it might come out in public and we might get caught and everybody's panicking about that. So doesn't that make sense? Yes, it does. It's funny you should say that because uh, there's another piece I didn't say about the astrology here, which is uh, if you act at this time in a ruthless extreme, self-righteous or self-obsessed, self-obsessed way, you're likely to face powerful forces acting against you. So, <laughs> Including trouble from superiors, government authorities or the law. And it's it's the key here because clearly we do have to uh, actually step into line here. And to one degree or other, I think we're doing a fairly good job, certainly in my experience with people in my reality. Yeah. And it is a time to reflect. You know, this is a, it's a reboot. It's a reset. And in a way, this is a, a gift of time for us to, to be able to stay home. Mm. And uh, I guess for, for some work from home, uh, for others, uh, maybe you've got some time on your hands. But it really is a great time to reflect on mm. how you have reacted or responded to this global crisis that's emerged mm. and whether you change anything or whether you go and do the same things again. Uh, and just reflect on life in general. And when things are disrupted, when life is disrupted, it creates space for change to happen. Mm. And I often use this analogy of a of a child's toy made out of Lego blocks. And if you want to change it into something new, you've got to pull the blocks apart. 
to make the space for building something new. And that's exactly what's going on for us at this moment is our normal way of living is being pulled apart. We're being given space actually to reflect on how we might like to rebuild that when we get the opportunity to do it. You know, how will we move forward from here as communities from family level to global level to global community? And what will we create next? Will we just resume life as it was or will we choose to do things differently? And I think that notion of uh, creation is really important, that this does that space gives us an opportunity to create, whatever that means for you, to take the pieces of those that Lego apart and to rebuild something differently and maybe do something or start something that you always wanted to do. Maybe your great passion uh, for life that hasn't been fulfilled might arise in this time. You might have an opportunity to, to do that or to at least begin that to work with other people in different ways that you might be locked down with or that you're communicating with via, via the net, for example. I think this, that's a really important point here is that the human in, invention, human creativity has a chance here to be stimulated in a situation where, you know, theoretically, we, 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 we would be afraid, but we don't need to be afraid. No, and uh, in line with the general big-picture value-shifting trend, as we've been saying on this show for over two years now, one of the things we really need to do is to build more resilient communities. Yes. And returning to a communally focused value set, it's all about rebuilding community and building communities that are as best can be self-supporting, uh, relocalization of everything, you know, to even down to uh, food that's grown locally in farmers markets and those sorts of things and living in harmony with nature and this is a little wake-up call showing us that yes we actually need to do that and there is some urgency to it Mm. and this won't be the first disruption this is the first of many to come i believe over the next 10 to 15 years yes you are tuned to future sense here with steve mcdonald and nick jeans on bay fm 99.9 or on the podcast and that you're listening to edited a day or so afterwards thanks for joining us here thanks to all of those listeners out there in the world and thanks also i just need to say to bay fm who've uh, been doing a very good job of reconfiguring itself under very good, difficult circumstances and many of us are broadcasting from home or other locations it's kind of exciting it's a bit like pirate radio and again it does give an opportunity to be creative in a different way so to take that on and uh, whatever that means for you We'll come back in the second half of today's show to talk about the economic impact of this planetary reboot. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.